Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Our next guest is going to be able to uh, write a book about his time that he spent in the Florida Panthers organization at 133 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stauffer with you on Oilers Now. Uh, now currently with The Athletic in Vancouver, uh, we welcome back to the show Thomas Strantz. Hey, Thomas, how you doing? Bob, doing well. Just got back from Canucks practice. They're flying out to Edmonton, and I'm just coping with you know, the feeling of loss that that is sinking in uh, with the fact that there's going to be an NHL game played at Rogers Place tomorrow and, and I won't be there. Uh, it just feels wrong. feels wrong. Oh. I did 65 games last this past summer there. Um, feels weird to, to know that I'll be watching on television uh, well, come Wednesday night. First of all, uh, you, that's a badge of honor. Uh, Scott, <laughs> Scott, Scott Wheeler was there for every single game of the World Championship. Uh, World Junior Championship, it's uh, it's frigid in that building, and uh, yeah. once once the uh, as you know, once the orders were eliminated, uh, and Jack and myself didn't even get a call games in there to, to begin with, which is quite ironic. Because we will be this year, so that's a good thing for the regular season. But I have, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely going to see uh, we're not seeing you around. I know I bumped into you a couple times during uh, specific. I was mm-hmm. conveni- conveniently at the Eastern Conference playoffs, which had some boys asking, <laughs> "Why exactly do you keep on showing up for the Eastern?" I, I can't tell you on the grounds that uh, too much information. Anyhow, let's get to it. Tell me about the Vancouver Canucks. There was a little bit of a development today involving uh, JT yeah. Miller, who's emerged. What's what's going on there? Yeah, and, you know, unavailable was all that Travis Green would offer up after the practice. He wouldn't even confirm whether or not Miller is set to practice or not. Uh, this got to be a stressful time for hockey operations. You know, they've only got 90 minutes from now to set their opening night roster. Uh, the Canucks are going to be in tight. They're not going to put Furland on uh, Michael Furland, of course, who's going to miss the season with uh, recurrence of concussion symptoms. Uh, started in the bubble last summer. Well, it didn't start in the bubble, but reoccurred in the bubble last summer. And so they're not going to have a lot of flexibility here. Like Furland is going to go on LTI after they set their opening night roster. They were poised to capture almost the entire 3.5 million in space. The plan is to sign Travis Hamanick into that space. It's going to be tight. It's going to be interesting. And obviously the impact on the team on the ice in the event that Miller can't play tomorrow. I mean, that's going to be massive. The Canucks are, like the Oilers, right, uh, built a little top-heavy. They really lean on their offensive horses, and Miller could probably be reasonably described as the engine that kind of makes everything go in Vancouver. So uh, it's going to be a fascinating um, fascinating to watch them try and figure it out. T- today, anyway, they had Vertanen skating uh, with Brock Besser and Pedersen on their top line. Uh, we haven't seen that much. We saw it once in Pittsburgh last season, and the Canucks surrendered eight goals with that line being victimized by the Malkin line relatively often. Um, you know, it's it's going to get dicey for the Canucks quickly, especially if they sustain an injury to their to one of their top six forwards. And so, you know, Miller's status will be watched hotly. 
at morning skate uh, should media be permitted or should any Edmonton media go uh, have their eyes on it for uh, their Vancouver brethren and uh, we'll sort of have to see but I'm sure at Rogers Arena right now in Vancouver um, you know they're, they're fighting fires hour to hour. Thomas Trance joining us from the Athletic Bob Stoffer with you in Oilers now. All right, Thomas. To me, uh, obviously, Markstrom was a huge factor in uh, the success of Vancouver in the playoffs last year. No question. Even, dur- even during the regular season, they had better depth than Edmonton at forward. However, do they, you know, in your opinion, has there been a drop-off in the depth front for the Canucks, partially because of some cap challenges? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, plot challenges or cash challenges, right? I, I mean, hard to pick between the two this summer. I, I'd say cash was probably the more decisive influence on Vancouver's offseason, frankly. Uh, but, yeah, you lose Josh Levo. Uh, you lose Tyler Foley, both guys who played regularly in Vancouver's top six last season. Uh, they haven't really replaced them. They're, they're counting on, you know, Niels Ho- Hoaglander. And that's how it's said. Make sure to tell Jack. Um, <laughs> that uh, that uh, Niels Hoaglander, uh, like they're counting on an ELC guy with no NHL track record who wasn't a point-per-game player in the SHL this past season, right? I mean, that's a pretty big bet to place on a young guy. Uh, Jake Vertanen, you know, obviously is the first man up when, when they have an injury into that top six. I think you like Adam Gaudet's offensive game, but probably more in a depth role. And, and traditionally, he's been deployed in sort of fourth line, not even third line minutes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think their forward depth's an issue. I'm sure it's keeping Travis Green up at night and especially to potentially be confronted with it right uh, out of the gate um, is not how anyone would have drawn it up. In goal, and I've had a lot yeah. of conver- – I have a lot of time for advanced analytics. You know that. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's the goal – you know, goal save factor for uh, – like the goals against between Koskinen and Markstrom was almost – identical however Mm -hmm. the caliber of shots probably wasn't identical is there a drop-off uh you know i'm looking at the guy in between the pipes brayden holpe he was awesome when he had mitch corn as his goalie coach with the washington capitals mitch mitch left the last two years robin laner kicks it out of the 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 house for a year with the islanders last year varlamov does the same thing and i'm and a little bit of a drop-off in holpe in your impression is there a drop-off from Markstrom to Holpe? Uh, I think there is, yeah. I, I think there's no question that there is. Uh, Markstrom was his team's MVP last year. The Canucks were a extraordinarily permissive defensive group uh, a year ago. And while they've upgraded their blue line, um, you know, I, I don't think that they've um, maintained in goal. I, I mean, if you look at, you know, not, not the advanced stuff, but the, you know, just raw save percentage, I think among 39 goaltenders who played 5,000 minutes over the past three regular seasons, you know, Holpe's 36 in save percentage, right? Like it's, um, you know, certainly a drop off in quality and caliber. And it'll be fascinating to watch, you know, how Holpe can do. Uh, obviously, Ian Clark, the Canucks goaltending coach, has a big reputation. It's a reputation that was made off of, you know, what he did with Sergei Bobrovsky, what he did with Roberto Luongo before that, and obviously what he did with Jacob Markstrom in Vancouver over the past three years, turning him into you know, certainly one of the league's best workhorse starters. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to watch. There's obviously going to be a relatively more equitable split in terms of starts between Holtby and Demko than there was between Markstrom and Demko. Uh, I would expect Holtby to get the first look to get that starter's respect and, and start on opening night. But I think from there, aside from the schedule starts, like aside from avoiding the back-to-back games, uh, I, I think it's going to be performance that dictates who's in the Canucks net more often than not, as opposed to you know veteran experience and that usual sort of workhorse starters respect, as, as we saw last season. So, yeah, I think the Canucks are going to probably be a little um, less sturdy in net, probably win a few less games that they really have no business even being in um, without Markstrom, but uh, it'll kind of come down to whether Holtby can rebound other, under Clark and, and whether or not Demko can sustain uh, what he managed to do against Vegas. And then not that he's going to sustain the 982 state percentage he managed in that Western Conference quarterfinal. But, uh, you know, even if he's a, a 915 guy who's dependable, I mean, that would be a massive, massive win for the Canucks. You mentioned Vegas. Years ago, the San Jose Sharks, who had over a 15-year run, the best record in the NHL, Doug Wilson mm-hmm. for years was in in on every player. Vegas right. has become Vegas has become that organization, Thomas. But as a result of of doing Petrangelo, Nate Schmidt popped. Can you believe how this worked out for Vancouver with Nate, Nate Schmidt? <laughs> Nate, Nate Schmidt was the glue guy in Vegas, and he's a hell of a defenseman. He can play left or right D. He, he can skate like the wind, so he can match up against anybody. Uh, would you concur with me that he's an upgrade on Tanev? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Tanev, you know, uh, Tanev's a great defensive player, like one of the great defensive minds uh, that I've ever had the pleasure of watching play. Uh, But his skills in transition were rapidly atrophying, as was his skating. And I think playing with Hughes hid that to some extent, just as, of course, Tanev's defensive acumen uh, hid some of the you know, common um, learning curve that that a rookie defenseman uh, hits in their first NHL season. With Schmidt, like, I mean, I think Schmidt's a top caliber quality defenseman. I mean, this is the guy who's been the 1AD for one of the best teams in the Western Conference over the past three years. Um, You know, he's played some of the toughest matchup minutes. Uh, He is extraordinarily active in terms of taking that fourth man's ice, in terms of keying the rush, uh, even in terms of joining the cycle in the offensive end. Um, and he can do it against the best players in the world. I mean, that's the type of second-pairing defenseman or first-pairing defenseman, uh, t- type of top-four defenseman that the Canucks just didn't have outside of Hughes uh, a year ago. Um, so I think he materially improves the blue line uh, and is a massive, massive upgrade. And then, you know, Hamannick, the assumption is that he's going to sign a one-year deal just over a million dollars at some point after 2 p.m. Pacific time today. And, you know, the the importance with Hamannick, like, I think there's a lot of people, um, you know, east of the Rockies, but but perhaps south of you, Bob, uh, who think that Hamannick might be done, and, and perhaps they're right. But I do think the fit in Vancouver, especially playing with Hughes, um, makes a ton of sense. And he just dramatically reduces the risk profile for a team that has, you know, a pretty set sort of four veteran defenders and Myers, Edler, Schmidt, and Hughes. But beyond that, has a lot of depth with legitimately zero NHL experience. So, um, you know, I, I think the Hamannick ad is big. And, and along the blue line is where I think the Canucks can credibly claim to have been, you know, the most upgraded during an offseason that was obviously challenging for a variety of reasons. 
Well, I had a good playoff run. We're joined right now by Thomas Strands from The Athletic. Thomas Ole Yolevi, uh, fifth overall mm. pick 2016 draft. We were uh, both there in Buffalo at that draft. And yeah. Kachuk went six, and Chris Knobloch wants to call me 18 times out of Erie. Stoff, you got to get Shirelli to draft uh, Kachuk. Uh, nobody thought Paul Yarvey was going to drop to four for Edmonton. We've got, you know, Paul Yarvey is a wild card here in Edmonton. How's Yolevi looked in Vancouver? A sturdy, like he's looked sturdy, but he's looked like um, you know he might be a competent third pair defenseman, right? Like there hasn't been the star potential. He, he kind of has matured, you know, and gone through some significant injuries, which which is crucial context here because at this point in his young NHL career, still young NHL career, uh, Yolevi will go as far as his feet can take him. If he can keep up, he's got a head for the game, and he's got some solid skills like i don't think he's going to be anything like a star defenseman anything like you'd expect to mine with the fifth overall pick in the nhl draft but you know the connects got that a couple of years later and he was like the, the question for you levy is not can he be a stud top four guy even it's you know, on this last year of his entry-level deal, um, can he be an average third-pair defenseman or even slightly below? Like, can he play at a sub-900K cap hit, uh, a regular shift without hurting the team? Because if he can do that, that's mammoth for this club. And, you know, although his entry-level deal expires, uh, considering this is going to be his first taste of regular season NHL action likely this week, uh, and beyond that, he's going to be, you know, an RFA with no Arbrights. Like, he's going to be affordable for a couple of years to come. So if they can have a reliable, affordable defender uh, for a little bit, <laughs> who's extremely cheap uh, versus against the cap as Pedersen and Hughes get more expensive, like, that's, you know, that's paradigm-altering in terms of what they can do, right? Like, he doesn't have to jump over a super high bar necessarily to be – uh, the type of player who can provide surplus value and maybe even significant surplus value to this club. He just kind of needs to be serviceable. He looked like he can jump over that bar at training camp, but you know, you don't really know until you see them in NHL competition and he'll have a big test against a team that's got a lot of offensive firepower on Wednesday and Thursday. All right. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, Thomas, but uh, the Canucks have Sutter, uh, Pearson, mm-hmm. who's still a decent player, uh, Berchi, yep. who those guys are coming off the books along with Edler next year. They could probably buy out yep. Erickson in the offseason. You know where I'm going. Has the, Dubois, has the Dubois and Barzell short-term deals benefited Vancouver potentially in terms of a long-term negotiation with Pedersen? Well, I, I think the uh, Dubois comp is, is perhaps the one they prefer. Uh, of course, you never want to see them sign a two-year bridge, right? The two-year bridge based on the Lion A and Dubois experience isn't one that necessarily signals longevity <laughs> for a player in their current organization. Um, yeah, I mean, I think more than anything, it's the flat cap era, right? Like the flat cap era, I think, has ushered in a new world, a new paradigm, not in terms of the valuation of players on bridge deals, because seven times three for Barzell doesn't look out of line to me with three times 6.75 for point or three times seven for Matthew Kachuk, right? Like those, uh, I mean, Matthew Kachuk obviously was outproduced by Barzell, who also won the Calder, but Kachuk does a ton of crazy rare power forward stuff uh, that's almost impossible to find. So, you know, overall, I think the market price 
of Barzell on his bridge was not distinct or, or was not reset anyway by the post-pandemic economic world. Stars are going to get paid, and I think the Barzell deal sort of signaled that. Uh, the thing that's fundamentally altered, though, is the length of these second contracts. Like, we haven't seen anyone except Sean Walker, who's a 26-year-old, you know, undrafted defenseman, like, took a weird path to the league, is sort of a different case. Like, we haven't seen anyone else uh, in this offseason, since the flat cap era was ushered in, sign a second deal for longer than three years. You know, uh, whether it's Rupe hints to, um, you know, Sorelli uh, in Tampa Bay, like everyone is going for two or three. Bridges are on vogue, the new black, as it were, for, for NHL RFAs. And so, uh, you know, I do think we're in this moment where if you're a star player, if you're a Pedersen, if you're a Hughes level player, Looking at your second contract, you know, it's hard to sign the type of deal where you'll feel like you're getting fair value five years on, especially should the world return to something more closely approximating normal um, and and there be sort of a atmosphere or an aura of growth surrounding hockey-related revenues again with, with the cap going up and, uh, you know, a functional NHL economy. So, uh, you know, I do think bridge deals are not just more likely, but almost certainly where this goes and not just for Hughes and Bederson, but probably across the board. Like we're looking at, you know, a second contract defenseman class next summer. That's going to include uh, Rasmus Dolan in Buffalo, Miro Haskinen in Dallas and Kale McCarr in Colorado. Right? Like I was looking at that market before the pandemic is something that would fundamentally reset how we looked at second contracts for defensemen. Like I thought everyone, every one of them was going to be Thomas Shabbat's, you know, eight times seven. Uh, now I- I'm guessing they're all going to be on bridges and they, they may end up on bridges that look nothing like, you know, the McAvoy Wierenski type contracts that came before it. Right. The, I, I would assume they're going to beat those types of valuations. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how the Canucks make it all work. And I do think, you know, despite all the expiring deals that you mentioned, um, that money's going to dry up fast, right? Like, it's not just Pedersen and Hughes. It's also Demko, and he's going to have our price. I mean, if yeah. Demko gives you average goaltending, he might be a $3.5, 4000000 million goaltender a year from now. Um, you know, it, it's amazing how quickly that cap space goes, and it's not like this team can't like – this team will also need to replace – Tanner Pearson, who's a second-line fixture, and Alex Edler, who's a, frankly, top-pair fixture still in this market. Um, so, you know, those contracts are going to be absolutely essential for the club, and I, I do think they're going to end up being short-term deals, too, which sort of kicks a bunch of big questions uh, down the road, especially in terms of, you know, cost certainty and how this club builds a contender around, you know, some of the elite young talent that, Jim Benning his mind from the years of pain that this market's endured over the past five years. All right, we got a minute left here. Uh, we're joined by Thomas Trance, Athletic in Vancouver. And you guys uh, know I'm a big fan of the Athletic and what it does right now. The EPL coverage off the charts. NCAA mm-hmm. college football is outstanding. Major League Baseball as well. I'm going to put you on the spot. You got a minute here. Handicap, yep. handicap the North Division. This is where I yeah. mentioned the Oilers, ironically, had the highest winning percentage in the North last year, and along with Toronto, have had the most disappointing uh, playing experience. But how do you mm-hmm. see the North shaking down? 
I've got a good line, uh, which is there are two certainties in the North Division and two certainties alone. Uh, it's that Ottawa finishes seventh and Toronto finishes first in the regular season before going out in the first round, right? Those are the two certainties in the North Division, and I think everything else, two to six, is up for grabs. The way that I'm handicapping it, I've got Montreal two. I think they're the only systems team in the North Division, and I think Nick Suzuki might be the most underrated player in the NHL. I've got the Calgary Flames third. Uh, I just like their depth more than I like anyone else's, and, and while I take Edmonton and Vancouver's top end over theirs. Um, you know, I think depth will matter, especially in a condensed, unpredictable season. And then I'm not really sure between Vancouver, Edmonton, and Winnipeg. I'll probably pick Vancouver uh, narrowly to edge them out for that fourth playoff spot when, when all is said and done. But I don't think it's going to be by a significant margin at all. I think it's going to be an absolute knife fight uh, to get that final playoff spot in the North. And that's sort of how I see things shaking out. should be a lot of fun, especially if you like arguing with people on Twitter. Uh, well, you know what? We should be allowed to have uh, animated discussions. Uh, sometimes it seems like the way Twitter's going right now, it looks like one sphere is winning over another sphere. That's a conversation. Mm-hmm. As a centrist, uh, I prefer open dialogue. <laughs> and that's what makes sports so much fun, Thomas. We work in the toy department of life and never forget Indeed. that, right? Awesome stuff. No. Hey, great stuff. Thanks for, having, uh, thanks for joining us here in Oilers now, okay? Oh, anything for you, Bob. All the best. Enjoy the season and enjoy the game tomorrow. Cheers, Bob. Yeah, well, you bet. That is Thomas Drance for The Athletic out of Vancouver. It is currently 1.53 in Edmonton. We are going to tell you this. Royal Pizza, Pizza Pasta, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated. For over 50 years, Royal Pizza offers curbside pickup and takeout options. For a menu and a list of 13 Edmonton and area locations, go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. The Stoffer recommendation is the Mediterranean chicken. Wow, let's get to this day in Oilers history. It was a big one back in the 80s. 1983, the Oilers hang a 10 spot up on the Blackhawks, getting three-point games from Gretzky, Messier, and Pat Hughes, who gets featured for the second day in a row. And they got a four-point game from uh, Paul Coffey on route to that 10-4 win in Chicago. Andy Moog outdueling Murray Bannerman in net, who somehow was surrendering, or did surrender, all 10 of those goals. Well, and he was the better. Of, I mean, they had Warren score against me. I mean, Warren score against me. Uh, yeah, uh, that was the uh, that was the joke back in the day. Uh, one guy that's hurting a bit today is Chris Brentlinger Grant. He uh, works on Jalen Nye's show, the six thirty Chet afternoons, and Chris is a friend of uh, is a, a friend of our shows as well, but a fan of the Ohio State Buckeyes. The luck guys, to paraphrase Jim Rome, did not get lucky last night. They got skunked. Uh, passing along a note here. Uh, coming up with Jalen Nye, our tease for today, the Canadian government has announced it's agreed to buy 20 million additional vaccine doses from Pfizer, putting the total number of vaccines available in 2021 to 80 million. Of course, there's 37 million Canadians. Uh, yesterday, Premier Jason Kenney said the province is likely going to run out of its COVID supply for vaccination by next Monday. So how significant is this purchase, and when could the majority of Albertans reasonably expect to be vaccinated? Microbiologist and host 
of the Super Awesome Science Show. Jason Tetro breaks it down with Jalen Nye after the 2 o'clock news. we got a jam-packed edition of tomorrow's game coming up again. Special thanks to Oilers GM Ken Holland on Oilers Now. Brian Lawton, David Staples from the Cult of Hockey, uh, our NHL insider John, John Shannon for Legacy Heating and Cooling. They will join us. They'll join us tomorrow. What does Reed Wilkins have cooking tonight? Brendan Escott and Oilers. Uh, more Oilers coverage on Inside Sports. Well, he's got lots of guests coming on the show. So and Rob Brown and Cam Moon. It'll be a local show. A local show. Lots of hockey talk coming up with Reed Wilkins on Inside Sports Night. Again, global news, weather, traffic, with update with Eileen Bell, followed by the 630 Chads Afternoons with Jalen and I. Have a terrific Tuesday, everybody. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.